Hey Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear from Callie Strickland, co-author and researcher on the article Closing Gender Pay Gaps. If you just wanted to introduce yourself a little and give some background information and maybe how you got interested in studying the gender pay gap. Yeah, sure. So I'm Callie Strickland. I lead our work on gender and diversity at the B Team. And the B Team is a business coalition uh, started by Richard Branson in 2013, um, who's interested in starting a coalition of purpose-led business leaders that are committed to the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. We work across sustainability, and I lead, as I said, our work on gender and diversity, which focuses mainly on ensuring gender balance and racially diverse leadership in the private sector and arguing for the business case of diverse leadership, but also the way that diverse leadership helps us advance all of the issues that we're working on from climate change to stronger governance um, and is really yeah, a way to transform business and, and the way that it's done. And I have been passionate about gender equality really, I guess, since I was your age or a little bit younger, since I was in high school. Um, really, that was the first time I noticed kind of gender imbalance in the world uh, at the school I was going to at the time. And also was aware that kind of gender and feminism is a way to, to look at and explore inequality in all its forms, including you know, intersectionality, race, class, privilege, and how all these things interact in the world. Um, and I've been at the B team for about four years. And as I said, our focus is really on diverse leadership, but knowing that we need to fix systems and companies to ensure that people um, can move up the ranks. And so pay transparency being a, a big piece of that, um, along with just ensuring kind of processes uh, are equitable and fair and take account for people's experiences and the way that they're different within a company. Thank you. And so I read your article, Closing Gender Pay Gaps, which I see you collaborated with a bunch of other people on from different companies and stuff. What was your role specifically in this research paper and how did you come about the information? Did you use other research um, that already existed? Yeah, so I play the role in, in determining the solutions for business um, and so the, the paper obviously focused on government and business um, and the different solutions that, that both sectors need to drive. And so my work obviously focuses on advancing solutions and supporting businesses to advance more equitable policies. Um, so some of the things, practices I was familiar with, um, I also put together a CEO guide on gender balance and inclusive cultures, which I can share with you after, um, but it incl includes a not just on pay, but pay is included there and how you actually drive kind of gender balance and equity across your business. So I was familiar already with some of the best practices, but also did research um, from lots of sources. Um, I think there's so much great stuff out there from the World Economic Forum to UN Women, McKinsey, um, tons of different resources out there. So sort of collated the butts of what's out there and then tried to keep it uh, as kind of short and sweet as possible. I think that oftentimes business leaders uh, as well as government leaders are overwhelmed by the number of resources and reports and petitions and pledges out there. So as much as you can kind of condense and, and make it easy to see what the steps are, um, that's always what I try and do. Yeah, that's something I really appreciated when reading your work, how the steps were really clearly laid out for businesses and government. That's something so unique that 
I really only saw it in this paper. And also I was really drawn to it because it looked at a wide range of countries and in other interviews I've done and other research I've read, they've only looked at countries with similar economic structures like OECD countries. So I was kind of curious at what benefits you saw in comparing gender pay gaps across all these countries and what you've seen the say about social structures, like how this, how these stereotypes kind of carry throughout all economic and social structures. Yeah, so my my partners at um, Open Data Charter Center for uh, Global Development and Open Government Partnership are responsible for bringing in a lot of that global lens, especially from the kind of government perspective. But I think, um, you know, these issues, pay transparency affects all businesses everywhere and the cultural context related to gender, but also race, ethnicity, other forms of inclusion and um and yeah, sort of social inequity come into play. And so it's really important to take, to see that, you know, and if you're a multinational business, a lot of the businesses I work with are multinationals, they need to have a global strategy and commitment around pay transparency and pay equity, but then they're gonna need to do kind of specific uh, deep dives and understand the cultural context in all the places that they're operating and what might hinder a certain group in the US, for instance, might be completely different in Kenya. Um, or Egypt. So really needing to take that kind of specific lens, but having a global commitment. Um, the B team works, you know, we have a global scope, uh, but as I said, working with a lot of multinationals and understanding the way that often the commitments need to be driven by the C-suite, by the CEO, then again, have people kind of on the ground in each country really that are driving that at a local level and throughout the business. Yeah, and since you specifically worked on the business aspect where pay transparency was mentioned, um, I've been mostly doing research on pay transparency and that's what I'm largely interested in. And I've kind of seen mixed reviews while I thought that it would mostly be positive going in. I've seen a lot of negative feedback from countries that have initiated um, pay transparency yeah. and just seeing how um, it's kind of going to the benefit of men as well as women and it's not really helping women in increasing parity. So I was wondering your opinion on this and do you think it's still a good solution or is the bad outweighing the good? Yeah, I would be interested to hear more about the negative sides. I think pay transparency is really important. Um, I think the legislation, so for instance, you know, the UK has pay transparency legislation, but there's no repercussions. Um, it's just that countries are, you know, asked to report on on this, which I think is a step, you know, if, if companies at least have to think about it and they have to put something on their website, that's a really good starting point. But if there's no repercussions, that's, you know, doesn't really force them to change. I think um, that, you know, companies should take the initiative themselves to, it's, it's a tricky subject um, in terms of having complete transparency around pay within a company. And um, doesn't always work, um, especially for, you know, high level execs, but I think it opens up issues that, you know, are related, but a little bit separate around CEO pay ratios and living wages and all of that. Like we want more equitable systems. We need more transparency, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, especially given that we've built systems and businesses based on the fact that these things aren't transparent. So I think a starting point is having transparency in job advertisements um, that also really helps people get in the door and also to eliminate gaps before people get in. Um, and also things like 
not asking for previous salary, um, which I think there's some legislation in maybe Colorado and some other states. Um, I think that's a really good thing too, because again, people come in, that's the gap starts before people get in the door. So I think uh, I'm a big, big fan of transparency, but know that it's challenging and um, things, you know, it's not like, like a business really can post everyone's salary overnight. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to to go into it and it needs to also be kind of an annual process. So I think where companies should start is around, you know, seeing this as a journey, starting with an audit. And I think breaking that down by gender and race um, to see, you know, where you stand and trying to move towards transparency, but knowing again that it doesn't really work to do overnight if you haven't had the culture around that. Yeah. And um, I also read about the salary history bans. So I was kind of curious how in a world of transparency, how can salary history bans also occur? Like, is this a little contradictory or do you feel like they can both simultaneously yeah. happen? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. It is a bit contradictory. Um, I think the point is that, you know, as an employer, if you're, if you're opening a position, you should think about what's feasible you know, what band, of course, people maybe start at different points based on their experience, um, that you do that before you think about the candidate. And that if somebody, you know, particularly maybe a woman who's been paid less forever doesn't come in and isn't, you know, disadvantaged from the start. Um, I also think, yeah, a company shouldn't, should base what they're going to pay the person based on what's reasonable, not based on, you know, exactly where they came from. Cause again, it starts, it helps everybody start on equal footing. Um, and I think, you know, bias creeps in of course in that process too. Um, and so as much as you can kind of mitigate bias in the hiring process, I think that really helps to create again, that more equal playing field. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of my next question is going back to something you were talking about before, which is like incentivizing businesses to take this action on the on their own because that might be more effective. So in what ways do you think governments can work to, instead of like push this on businesses, rather offer incentives and maybe instead of repercussions because you mentioned repercussions earlier. Yeah, I think that's a super tricky topic um, or just where we land with incentives rather than legislation. Um, I think that, you know, there's, I guess there could be things like tax breaks um, or other kind of incentives in that way. I do think legislation is sort of a necessary evil, um, but we also need for, you know, if there's only pockets of it, it makes it really difficult for companies to operate and then also to have kind of that streamlined approach. Um, and so I think it's also about, you know, creating movements around this. Um, so, you know, more legislation like the UK has is a good starting point, but again, it just doesn't really force companies to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I think tax breaks are a way to get there, um, but might be a very complicated way to do it. Um, I'm not familiar with sort of other ideas there as I don't really work on the government side that much, but I think, yeah, as much as we can create kind of an ecosystem around it to support it, um, but norms are huge. And so, you know, when, when social movements happen, people call attention to things and business feels like they're not part of the movement. If they're not acting, I think that's a, a really big part of it too, is making this feel like this is the new norm and businesses that aren't adopting that are, you know, behind the curve and that, and we're seeing people wanting to work for companies that align with their values. And so I think that 
is going to force more change and already has in lots of ways. Yeah. And along that note, like, what do you think the role of education, especially in youth, middle school, high school, college is in enforcing these social norms and stereotypes? I know that um, I've seen the rates of like how, how it's much more frequent for females to fall behind in math subjects and STEM subjects than men. So I don't, I don't really know what a solution to that might look like, but what do you feel like the role of education is in promoting these stereotypes? Yeah, I think education is huge. And what we encourage people to go into, how much fields and yeah, even subjects in school are gendered. Um, so I think we need to start really from the ground up with that and encouraging, you know, more women to go into STEM. Um, and, you know, there's, there's great programs that are looking to also ensure, you know, around across race and class boundaries that we're getting more people into these subjects. Um, and I think, you know, norm change around, which can happen everywhere from within school to within TV shows and music and, um, advertisement advertising, but around, you know, who, who should earn the most money and breadwinners and trying to kind of mitigate that, the genderedness of all of that and money-making, um, because I think that really holds women back um, and doesn't encourage them to go into certain career paths. So it starts, you know, from a very young age, um, but it goes into, you know, into college, into higher education, um, and just making sure there's support networks and programs. I think businesses also um, can do more outreach, you know, with supporting organizations, like there's a great organization called Girls Who Code that's trying to support women to go into, um, into coding and engineering. Um, but companies can also go to universities and support and try and, you know, things like internship and apprenticeship programs, I think are a great way to get people's foot in the door. And again, to focus on underrepresented groups there helps to diversify and yeah, start from start from the ground up. Yeah, and I this is more of a personal question, but like, how do we start to look at the transparency and promotional? Because obviously, um, I feel like it's becoming more frequent to know what maybe someone who has the equal job as you is being paid. But like these promotional tactics and hiring processes are still kind of going under in other forms of compensation. So how is this really tracked? Like. Um, I think it's more frequent for men to be promoted um, to higher yeah. roles and for men to take up higher roles in companies. I don't, do you know anything on how that's tracked and ways that we can continue to make this process more transparent? Yeah, that's huge. Um, promotion and development. And I know, I mean, companies are approaching this from lots of different ways. Some of the things that I think are really interesting and, and innovative and work well is that this is, um, you know, senior leaders, managers are responsible for diversity and inclusion goals. And so just as they get, you know, scored on um, how, you know, how well they're performing, how much money they're bringing into the company, they also get scored on who they're hiring, who they're promoting. And that's broken down again, I think always by gender and race to see if someone's been in a company for 10 years and they've only promoted men or, or they've only promoted white women, like to see that that breakdown right in front of them. Um, because just like any other business imperative, if you're not measuring and tracking these things, they don't actually change. It's just kind of um, gone by, you know, how people sense things are going. 
Um, and so really getting very specific about tracking promotion um, and development rates. And then I think trying again, just to mitigate bias in the process, um, you know, things around, I've, I've heard about solutions for, you know, sometimes when you go into a, a development um, exercise, the, the person who's being kind of marked shares first how they're, they think they're doing. Um, and that that actually opens up more space for bias than if the manager you know shares first, um, and also having kind of other points in the company. So um, it's not just only one person that's looking out for your development. Um, another thing I think is really important is sponsorship. So you know, of course, there's mentorship, which can be quite formal through a program or rather informal, and sponsorship takes that to another level and encourages and it is when when somebody actually helps get another person promoted and bring brings them up the company so it could be a manager it could be somebody else in the company but they're not only giving advice but they're actually actively working you know supporting that person and helping them move up when you're talking about businesses um have you seen a common theme of this affecting like a certain industry over another or do you really think this is a widespread thing and is affecting all industries um, I think it affects all industries, definitely. Um, I mean, another big piece that I haven't mentioned yet is just around family leave policies. And so, you know, if if there's not adequate space for people of all genders to, to have families um, and to care for care for families, whether it's children or other family members, that also just puts, you know, people a step behind. Um, and so making sure those policies are right and equitable, having um, parental leave, no matter the gender and encouraging both men and women to take it, I think is another part because that's another place where women get behind. Um, but yeah, I think this affects businesses everywhere, no matter what industry. I mean, certain businesses in terms of the gender piece are, uh, you know, have especially low representation of women and therefore it's a bigger challenge there because if you have fewer women, in leadership or in the organization, they're going to be earning less than men. So, you know, tech, um, oil and gas, engineering, uh, finance, venture capital, those are all industries that I think um, are very male dominated and need to, so, you know, the issues are are even more stark there, but I, do, I think most companies, um, if they haven't measured it yet, they'll find once they do that they have a gender pay gap. Mm -hmm. And um, how do you see transparency in general as a tool for our society to combat these stereotypes and um, gaps in all parts, not just gender, race, um, cultural gaps? Do you think that transparency is important? I feel like it's kind of taboo to talk about money and other aspects just among society and with friends and stuff. So do you feel like this is something that's important to change among our society? Yeah, definitely. I think transparency is huge. Um, you know, whether it's around governance issues, uh, you know, the way that money is passed through, the way that money is managed, uh, you know, from companies, I think, uh, you know, within government as well, um, what gets seen again, gets kind of measured and understood and, um, what's behind closed doors is often, um, much more easily. I mean, in this space, you know, bias creeps in and people don't really understand what's happening. So I think it's huge. 
it's definitely, um, you know, in society, it's difficult and taboo for sure to talk about money, but I think people sharing their, you know, their company, even if, if it's people between companies, I think sharing salaries is really helpful. Um, I know in my career to know kind of where my friends are helps me benchmark and also has helped me negotiate. Um, and I think that's another piece that I haven't really brought up yet, but in terms of um, negotiation. So actually I've, you know, I think this is in the paper that women are as likely to ask for raises often, which mm -hmm. is less likely to get them. Um, but I do think that there's more to be done on the kind of norm, norm shifting around asking for raises um, and women feeling empowered to do that. Um, and like, it's, it's kind of their right. So I think sharing salary and having transparency, even if it's yeah, between colleagues or between friends helps people understand where they are and feel empowered. Um, and like it's within their, their rights and to ask and negotiate for themselves. Yeah. And my last two questions, they're kind of related, but a piece of data that really stuck out to me from your paper was in the beginning that it will take um, 250 plus years till the world reaches economic gender parity. So one, like where is this data coming from and is this with our current actions or does this require more actions like that have been suggested in the paper and do you think this is actually reasonable? Yeah, so that is from a World Economic Forum Global Gender Gap Report, which is from for 2020, I would imagine that figure has gotten worse with COVID yeah. because the pandemic has really exacerbated gender divides. And, you know, we're seeing the great resignation. So many more women are leaving the workforce um, at a disproportionate rate. And so that stat is about, you know, at current trends, the way that we're progressing, the global gender gap won't close for 250 years, which is across kind of all uh, aspects of society. So not just like in business or the economy, I think the economy is around 150 years in, in, um, to close the economic gender gap. And so I think that stat is just obviously alarming to the fact that we need to get seriously more urgent and more ambitious around this work. It's not going to solve itself. Um, we're working against, you know, thousands of years of history and the way that business and, and government in the world has functioned for so long. Um, and that's not, you know, the way of the world anymore. And so I think it just shows that we need to seriously pick up uh, the pace in terms of this work. And also that, you know, I think this is a big, big lesson that I've learned in this work is that like people and organizations are biased. Um, just somewhat naturally. Um, so we need to design against that and things around putting policies and practices in place around pay transparency, um, around you know hiring, promotion, development, all those pieces just help ensure that everybody has a fair chance in a company, um, which doesn't happen naturally. So I think a lot of people tend to think, oh, you know, if I have, if I have the good, good values and I'm a good leader, this will just happen you know, as it should. Uh, so I think that just fighting for the fact that, you know, you need to institute these policies and practices to make sure that the company is equitable and you need to look into it and again, measure um, and monitor it because you would do that with any other business imperative. And this is one that needs to be treated as a business imperative. Mm -hmm. And then my last question was about the pandemic, which you kind of touched on, but 
I feel like we're seeing that there are more pandemics to come, there are more crises to come that are going to continue to um, increase the gender pay gap. And obviously the pandemic is not going away anytime soon, unfortunately. So I don't know, I guess you touched on it, but if you have any more insight on like how the pandemic is going to affect this and maybe if legislation is gonna look different in terms of the pandemic's effect on the gender pay gap. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, obviously changed our entire world in terms of these issues. So I, I'm not sure if they've reinstated it, but I mean, the UK, for instance, paused, uh, stopped monitoring the gender pay, or stopped requiring companies to report on the gender pay gap during the pandemic. Um, I know it was paused for 2020 and I'm not sure about 2021, but that's just an example of the fact that a lot of these times, a lot of the times, you know, in crisis, these things fall to the wayside and are paused or not considered important anymore. And so these gaps are just widening. As I said, women are leaving the workforce at a much higher rate than men. Um, I think, you know, with family and healthcare and also women earning less. Um, and if one person in the household, if it's, you know, a man and a woman, if one person's earning less, then they're more likely to quit their job when things get difficult or when childcare comes up. And so it exposes a lot of different issues um, in terms of, again, making workplaces work for people that have families. Mm -hmm. um, flexibility is huge. I think on that, though, there's a bit of a silver lining with the pandemic in that it's forced companies to allow for more flexible working, um, which I think will stay. Um, in terms of, you know, working hours that work for, for people, people understanding that people have kids and they have caretaking duties, um, working from home, um, and also, you know, expanding where people can hire from. And so you don't have to live in the immediate area of the office. I think things like that will stick and are good things in terms of all these pieces. Um, but with women leaving the workforce in such droves, um, and again, kind of maybe taking on lower level positions, pay gaps and just gaps overall are expanding. So again, we need to be really intentional about how we recover from this, um, you know, and I think a big part of that is again, making commitments around these pieces. And so we're seeing a lot of businesses now making commitments about hiring X percentage of women or having, you know, X percentage of black leadership. So I think that's a really good starting point because it kind of forces people to get kick into year. So same with gender pay gap. Um, I, I think I, I really recommend and applaud companies that have made commitments to close their gender pay gap by 2025 or whatever year. And even if they don't reach that, I think that's a really critical starting point because it forces them again to find out where they are and see how they need to fix it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of your insight. Um, and I really enjoyed reading your article and I'm so thankful that I was able to get in touch with you and have this interview. Do you have any other information that you want to add in that maybe I didn't touch or any questions for me? No, that sounds great. I mean, I'd love to see the podcast when you're done with it. And um, yeah, I hope that you yeah end up working on this stuff because we need more people that, that want to work on it. But no, thank you. It's been really interesting chat. And yeah, I would, I would love to see it when you're done and good luck. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to Callie for participating and for offering such insightful information.